The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place. You know you are. I always say it, and it's always true. So what's the buzz on the street today? Oh, we have a serious topic. You're not going to want to be multitasking or taking, talking to people or texting during the show. we got some serious stuff to talk about. Here's the opening quote, the buzz on the street. Never call an accountant a credit to his profession. A good accountant is a debit to his profession. That was said by a gentleman named Charles Lyell, L-Y-E-L-L. We'll all have to look it up and figure out who he is, but I thought it was very, very interesting. Apparently, he's British. So what are we talking about today? Serious topic. Corporate accountants are managing a perfect storm of financial regulations with the upcoming, and here's where you might want to take notes, the IFRS 15, okay, the IFRS 9, and IFRS 16. Any one of these is difficult at best. All three together, wow, bam, pow, you can be overwhelmed. Today we're going to tackle just one of these, IFRS 16, and I'm told also to say ASC 842. Leasing, leasing, leasing. Maybe you're leasing a car. Maybe you're leasing equipment. Well, guess what? Leasing is an important and widely used financing solution. IFRS 16 now mandates lessees to recognize operational leases on the balance sheet. If you're not an accountant, this may all be gibberish to you, but if you know somebody who is or you have a friend in the CFO team at your company, you really want them to listen to this show. What's happening now? Everything's going to change. Your company has a small window to ensure compliance to the new regulations by January 1st, 2019. Now, if you don't have a calendar handy on your cell phone or on your iPad or on your your mainframe or your computer, whatever it is, think about it. January 1st, 2019, we're now on the verge of March 1st, tomorrow, 2017. That means it's less than two years away. So that's a lot to do. You got to get ready. You got to get set. You got to listen up. We're here to help you. Let me tell you who our panelists are, and they're going to explain it all so I can understand it and you can understand it. First up, in a moment, I'll be introducing you to Imran Mia. His last name is M-I-A. He's a practice lead for Nakisa's Center of Excellence COE group. Joining him on the panel will be Rich Sabula, C-E-B-U-L-A. He's a director in PWC's SAP Advisory Practice. 
Rounding out the panel is a gentleman who's been on other series, other Game Changer series with us before. It's Pete Graham, no relation to me. He's a director in finance solutions and mobility at SAP. They're all really smart on this topic, so all I can say is listen up, the experts speak. So I'm pleased to welcome Imran Mia, and Imran has sent us a beautiful quote from Audrey Hepburn. If you're very, very young and not a fan of old movies, let me just give you a little heads up here. Audrey Hepburn, full name Audrey Kathleen Rustin, lived from 1929 to 1993. She was a British actress, a model, a dancer, and a humanitarian. She has won so many awards, it's mind-boggling. She won a record three BAFTA awards for British actress in a leading role, Best British Actress. She was in the movie Sabrina, 1954. I know nobody here was old enough to remember. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. The Nun Story, 1959. Breakfast at Tiffany's, a classic. 1961 Charade, a thriller. I think Cary Grant was in that with her. 1963, My Fair Lady, Who Hasn't Heard of That, 1964, and Wait Until Dark, 1967. She won the Academy Award, the Golden Globes, the BAFA nomination. She has won so many awards. She's one of the few actresses to win the Academy Award, the Emmy, the Grammy, and the Tony in history. So there, that's Audrey Hepburn. And here is the quote that Imran has selected, and it's beautiful. Nothing is impossible. The word itself says, I'm possible. Imran, I think I'm in love with Audrey Hepburn all over again. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Bonnie. How are you? I'm well. I love the quote. Tell me something. We're talking about changes to how leases are recognized on the books coming fast and furious January 2019. So talking about I'm possible, impossible, why don't you relate this lovely quote to our topic, please, Imran. I think your um, title of the episode is to suggest the story. You're bringing about $3 trillion of lease liabilities and assets as well to the balance sheet. So it's a massive task for companies to um, deal with in terms of centralization of the data um, to uh, make them visible, also to create a portfolio and, um, and to assess the exposure to the new standard. Um, as, we'll go, as we'll go along in the show, we'll find out um, what we have um, seen from the cu- um, customers. The data are dispersed. They're um, not kept in a centralized location. So the new standard requires your um, um, ongoing reassessment, judgment, and remeasurement as well. So all, th- all those things that uh, the lessees, they have to do that, the companies, they'll have to do that. It's a massive challenge um, to, mm-hmm. um, to do it on an ongoing basis. At the same time, we also have the complexity with the transitional accounting and disclosure reporting as well. So from a, from a, from a um, company perspective, from an incorporation perspective, it's a massive challenge to deal with those leases uh, when, they're being, um, um, lo- um, uh, when they go live with the new standard. Hence, um, it's, you could say it's um, impossible, but then again, I am possible, right? As you say, it's on the couch. There you go. I am possible. Is the information we're going to share with our listeners today going to make it seem more possible than overwhelming and impossible, Imran? Can we safely say that? Of course. Uh, we have Pete and uh, Rich there as well. They all also shed some light on that, what they're seeing from the customers, how we can make it possible for the customers as well. Yes. 
Thank you very much. And by the way, we're going to be focusing on companies. We're talking about companies around the world, so not specifically anyone's customers. So when we talk yes. about Nikisa's information that Imran has all of his expertise and, and Rich, I'm going to introduce him in a moment to PwC and Pete. We're talking companies so that I don't want anybody to think you're listening to a show that's just about the customers of our three panelists. We're talking their expertise that will help impact your approach to and your handling of and your ability to make it possible to embrace the changes. And, and I will give the, the title to the show, which I didn't give yet, Imran, but thank you for that. The title of this episode is Your Balance Sheet as of 1119. That's January 1, 2019. $3 trillion worth of leases. Okay, everybody, just calm down. We will get to how this is going to happen. Imran, thanks for a great opening to our conversation. And now I'm pleased to welcome Rich Sabula, director in PwC's SAP Advisory Practice. And he has sent us a quote from one of our most frequently quoted quotees on here on Game Changers. It's Albert Einstein, you know, 1879-1955, German-born theoretical physicist who developed the general theory of relativity, one of the two pillars of modern physics. He was often seen at a blackboard with his wild and crazy white hair flying in every direction, but he's most famous for his equation, E equals MC squared. That's the world's most famous equation. It explained the law of equivalence of energy and mass using his formula where E is the energy of a physical system, M is the mass of the system, and C is the speed of light in a vacuum. Aha, now we're smarter. So here's the quote Rich has selected from Mr. Einstein, maybe it's Professor Einstein. The world as we have created it is a process of our thinking. It cannot be changed without changing our thinking. Seems so logical. Rich Sabula, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Good, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine. So happy to have you on, and a shout-out to our friends at PwC. So, Rich, are you a big follower? You have a picture of Einstein on a blackboard or on the, the wallpaper on your cell phone somewhere? Talk to me. I have a picture of him in my wallet next to my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. I, deserve, I, I deserved every bit of that. I, I, take it, I take it. Okay, so talk to me. The quote is very interesting. What has to change? Go ahead. Uh, I mean, Bonnie, change is an element of our daily lives. So you know, it, it, and it does come in many forms. So we we have to we have to be able to accept change because there's always something behind it, some kind of improvement or betterment that we're seeking. So uh, if we choose to embrace it, I think it's, we we can then put the necessary steps in place to help manage it and change it and ultimately achieve it. So change is change is a big thing in a new standard, as as Inrin started to point out. Um, it, it is. There's a lot of things changing, and, and it's seeking to drive a lot more consistency, uh, uniformity in the reporting of leases, so people can make decisions on a global basis. And, and, and you, what we're going to talk about in a little bit also is that it's not really, it's not just an accounting change. This is something that it's just the beginning on the accounting side. It's going to be a lot more stuff uh, from a process, data, technology perspective. We'll be talking about that later. Very, very interesting. Tell me something, Rich. I just want to level set, and I should have done this at the very beginning. How is it done now? If the leases are not expressed or, or added to the balance sheet, where are they captured? How are they in the accounting process? What happens to them right now? Well, the standard itself today allows you to capitalize stuff on a balance sheet as well as expense stuff into the P&L. So there's some, based on certain specific bright line rules that are out there, um, you can fall into those two buckets. So um, with, with that, there's a lot of stuff and potentially some manipulations out there and things like that that 
the, the investment community wants to see it all in one place. So that's the real big change is moving everything to the balance sheet now. So there's no question about what the, the debt and, and, and commitments that companies have on their books. Is this considered a revolutionary or evolutionary change? Has it been a long time in the making, Rich? Or is it something where accountants are saying, what? OMG? Why? Is this something they were expecting? Yeah, I think it all stems back to uh, the SEC's uh, revelation around it and listening to the investor community. Um, so I think it's a little bit of both, um, you know, in, in, in my uh, playbook here in the understanding of that. I, I think it's just something that we, we, we're now seeing it a different way. And the accounting rules made sense, right? And they were all you know, laid out in certain ways. But now the investment community is who we have to listen to in some of this you know, standpoint. And the global, the global aperture is what everybody's interested in. How do I compare a company here in the U.S. to a company in Europe or Asia? You know, I want to see it all in some kind of a uniform fashion. And that's what the big accounting changes are happening that are, that are going on now. Thank you very much for articulating that. I sit and I sit uh, educated. I appreciate that. And now let's turn to our third panelist, welcoming back Pete Graham. As I said, no relation, but I'm happy to see him always. Pete has selected a quote from a song. It's actually a title of a music video from Bon Jovi. It was released on July 21st, the year 2000. It was the second CD single off Bon Jovi's Grammy-nominated album called Crush. And what's unique about this, if you're a music fan, is that David Bryan plays the solo of the song instead of Richie Sambora. Sambora did the vocals along with John Bon Jovi. The music video starred Claudia Schiffer, woohoo, Arnold Schwarzenegger, double woohoo, Emilio Estevez, and Matt LeBlanc. Wow, what a cast. Uh, and here is the title of the video song, and then we can talk about the lyrics in a minute with Pete Graham. Say it isn't so. Now remember, we're talking about accounting changes. We're talking about leases going on the balance sheet as of January first 2019 we're talking about ifrs 16 so pete graham thanks for the great forward quote that packs a punch how are you pete good bonnie thanks thanks um, for coming back you Talk know to I, me. I, I, yeah i think we yeah i was gonna say you know um i've been on the show and had a couple different quotes before and i thought i'd you know really try to to think about something that might be um uh, a little less traditional, especially you know, people think accounting is, is normally dry. And um, I kind of came across this saying, say it isn't so, and then found the video. And, and really, it, it seemed to be a pretty good match because if you look at the theme of the video, it's kind of, you know, even though the album, I think you said, was Crush, and some accountants, mm-hmm. when they look at all of these accounting standards, it's like the perfect storm with IFRS 15 and 16 and IFRS 9 coming at them. They almost feel like they're going to get crushed. Or it's just, say it isn't so that I have to do another change or do another compliance topic. And then all of these unexpected things come in the video, like Roman chariots running down the streets of a (laughs) high noon western. And I think that's the same thing companies are facing. I mean, there's lots of unexpected things. And I think you heard tidbits from Imran and, and Rich on this, and that companies don't really know what they're expecting, and uh, there are going to be some surprises out there. And so that's kind of why I thought it was a, an appropriate uh, kind of lyric and video to, to kick off this topic with. Absolutely. We appreciate that. So, so my question to you, I may have asked this of, of somebody previously, Pete, is 
Is this breaking news? Is anybody in an accounting position in the office of the CFO who's listening to the show either live today, February 28, 2017, or perhaps on demand later on, well into the future? Is anybody saying, what? They're changing the rules? There's a new regulation? How is this? Is anybody going to be shocked by this or is it going to be, yeah, we know the time's coming? Well, what's your thought on that? Uh, I mean, on, on, I wish I could say everybody was informed, but I'm still running into people that this is relatively new. Um, and I think even if people have heard about it, I, I don't think the ramifications or the, the second and third order effect impacts are really well understood. So I think there's still a lot of people just beginning to, to get their arms around it and really understand what it means, especially with all the other things going on on the corporate agenda, right? These you know, the, the people that are meeting at, at companies are, are very busy. And, um, you know, I, I don't think they have great transparency on this, this regulation because it, it's kind of relatively new. It, it, mm-hmm. They have a relatively long time to go in their mind. You know, they've got, well, two years sounds like a long time, especially when there's another regulation that's due before then. Um, so I, I think there's just... There's still a lot of, of folks that really aren't fully up to speed on it yet. So we could title this Breaking News. Aha, yeah. your balance sheet as of 010119, $3 trillion worth of leases. Don't hang up. Don't drop off. You need to hear this because it's less than 24 months. That's what we could do. Thank you, Pete. Thank you very much. So let's circle back to Imran Mia at Nakisa. Imran, this is the part of the show where we get a little bit up close and personal, just enough to know a little more about you as a human being, in addition to being a very smart person who's here on this very tough topic. So I'd like to know where you're calling from and what are you drinking now, or what would you rather be drinking that makes you smile? Go ahead, Imran. Um. I'm calling from Montreal, um, Bonnie, uh, Montreal, Canada, and mm-hmm. um, I'm drinking Double Double. Um, I don't know if you know the expression. It's a typical Canadian expression. Um, don't ask me for the recipe. It's, re- it's, it's a code um, language, basically. What it essentially means, um, I'm having a coffee with double cream and double sugar. Um, what would I rather have instead? <laughs> I think I'm happy with what I'm having right now. I think you are, and I'm going to read. I did look it up. It's on the Urban Dictionary, in case you're interested. A double-double with the hyphens is a Canadian term used to describe how you take your coffee. Two teaspoons of sugar and two creams, preferably used in any Tim Hortons location. Ha! And they say server at your local coffee shop. May I take your order? And you, yeah, I'll have a medium double-double. So there we go. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. It's uh, even in Quebec, the same term is used but pronounced in French, of course. I'll have a large double-double and a Boston cream donut. Well, I didn't say that. Thank you. Very interesting, Iman. I would stick with that, too. It sounds delicious. And now let's go to Rich Cibula. Where are you, Rich? And what would make you happy in your cup? Or is it there right now? So I'm actually calling from New Jersey. Uh, Pete, if you didn't know, that is the home of Bon Jovi. <laughs> but uh, the uh, basically, uh, I'm drinking, I'm a very simple guy, Bonnie. Um, so when it comes to coffee, I, I, I do like my coffee uh, straight, and I do like it every morning. So today, it's a nice cup of freshly ground, 100% Arabica bean. Uh, it's actually from Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, and I'm going to start using this double-double um, phrase now because it's got sugar and milk in it, so... Oh, I'll, I'll order it that way from now on. 
<laughs> it sounds lovely. It sounds wonderful. We got some good drinking going on here. Thank you very much. And Pete Graham, are you shocked that Bon Jovi comes from New Jersey, or is that okay with you? <laughs> That's fine. that is fine. Uh, that is fine. Um, I am uh, drinking some Schweppes Black Cherry Sparkling Seltzer Water. So certainly not as high octane as uh, my colleagues here or counterparts on the phone, but uh, something a little simple. And tell me, do you have ice in it? Are you drinking it at room temperature? Is it really bubbly and fizzy? You have a straw in the glass? It Come is on, bubbly. you know. It's not ice, but it's cold, uh, just out of the freezer or refrigerator. So. Thank you. Glad to know that. I'll, I'll never forget the day we had a gentleman who said he was having a certain kind of coffee on the show. This was several years ago. And I asked him what was so special about his coffee. And he said and he was calling in at 7 o'clock in the morning from California for our one of our 10 a.m. radio shows. Uh, Rich, I think you'll appreciate this. And I said, what's so special about your coffee? He said, I just put a shot of Jameson's in it. And we just said... <laughs> <laughs> okay, that sounds kind of spicy. And, and Imran, to your point, I don't know if it was a double-double, but we just assumed it was a single shot, and he was a very, very happy camper. So whoever he was, if he's listening, I still remember that call. Thank you very much. We are talking about a very serious topic. If your business uses leases, are you leasing cars and fleets and equipment, anything, it has to go on the balance sheet, changing regulations starting on January 1st, 2019. It is not far away, less than fewer than, however you want to say it, 24 months. We're speaking today with Emran Mia at Nikisa. We're speaking with Rich Sabula at PWC and Pete Graham at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back with a lot of details. You really want to pay attention to this. I think it's going to help. So I'll just say to my engineer, Kevin, out. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as more digitally demanding employees, customers, and partners, an increasing variety of digital devices, resource scarcity coupled with data abundance, and demand for innovation to help the world run better and improve people's lives. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how moving to the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Partnerships, changing the game for digital transformation is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Listening to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation. Partnerships are indeed changing the game for digital transformation. We're talking about $3 trillion worth of leases hitting your balance sheet in less than 24 months. Woohoo! Let's get started with our roundtable conversation. I'm looking at notes that Imran Mia sent me. He's at Nakisa's Center of Excellence Group. I'm going to read some very serious information here, and then Imran will explain it, and then we will invite Rich at PwC and Pete Graham at SAP to chime in with their thoughts on this. So here's our opening statement. Understanding 
the various convergent and divergent points of the two lease accounting standards, we're talking IFRS 16 and ASC 842, is a critical step for any multinational organization that must comply with both convergence or divergence. Imran, please tell us more. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, in September 2002, um, ISB uh, and FASB, um, they signed the Norwalk Agreement, which is um, essentially the starting point for the project to converge at the respective set of financial standards for both under um, IFRS and um, FASB. Um, so the, what you're seeing in lease accounting standards, which is IFRS 16 by ISB and ASC 842 by FASB, Essentially, they're supposed to follow suit, basically. So there's supposed to be a convergence between those two um, standards. Um, question is, um, are we seeing any seamless convergence? Um, maybe not. There's still some divergence that exists. Um, to, um, to name a few, um, for instance, IFRS 16, it has a single lease accounting model. So what it means, basically, you have only one type of leases. One, uh, there's no classification for leases. And also there's only a single approach um, on how to amortize your um, right of use asset. On the other hand, um, for, um, for FASB under ASC 842, they still follow the same um, kind of um, classification uh, that you used to have um, as um, um, under um, finance and operating. So the dual classification model that still exists under ASC 842. Also, there are two approaches now um, um, available to um, companies to amortize the right of use asset. So these are uh, the, that's the main sticking point in terms of the convergence and divergence. Also, there are a few other uh, um, divergence points. For instance, um, low value asset. Um, so if your um, if your asset is um, um, under a certain uh, value. You don't have to. Um, um, you don't have to uh, put that into your balance sheet. So IFRS has that exemption for low-value assets, whereas um, um, ASC 842 for US GAAP, there is no exemption for low-value assets. So these are the few divergence points uh, that we are still um, witnessing, um, Bonnie. So that's mm-hmm. what uh, that, that's the main point I wanted to um, um, bring it forward. Basically, even though the initial agenda was to converge everything. We're mm-hmm. still having some divergence, basically, between those two standards. And this is a uh, very, um, um, very important point for uh, multinational companies uh, when they do the consolidation reporting as well, because they have to take both standards into consideration for the reporting. Thank you. It's way over my pay level to understand this, so I'm <laughs> going to ask Rich Sabula, and I'm not even going to, to pretend to be able to uh, paraphrase what you said, but I know it's very important information, and the accountants, the, the CFO people in our audience will appreciate this. So I'm going to ask Rich Sabula, PwC. Rich, you want to explain or add to what uh, Imran just said? you have any challenge to it, any agree, disagree? What do you think? Yeah, I can add on a little bit more detail. I, I think you know <clears throat> we're we're right on point on the, the the points that he talked about relating to the convergence as well as some of the divergence uh, within this. The overall goal of the standard was to have one global way of looking at things, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but uh, obviously, there's been some you know some places where over lots of deliberation, there's been two exposure drafts issued on this. Been, there's been lots of extensive uh, outreach and re-deliberations and stuff like that have taken place with 
uh, various stakeholders out there in the community. So a lot of work has got into this over several years to really help make decisions that are probably not necessarily popular decisions in certain cases, depending on what company's uh, you know leasing position and uh, looks like. So um, there, there's some significance in the, the divergence here with IFRS and the, the FASB's uh, point of view. Uh, as Imran said, the, the, on the on the FASB side, there are two versions: this financing lease and operating lease. Um, they're, they're, the critical difference there is that there's a it's a it's a different um, layout as to how expenses get recognized in the balance sheet. The sorry, the expenses get recognized in the P and L. The right of use asset and the lease liability are all taken care of in the balance sheet uh, in a similar fashion, but. For financing, there's depreciation and interest expense that are going to be recorded, and and usually, as you know, like with any interest, you know, uh, debt you're paying off, you, your interest payments are are more higher in the beginning than they are towards the end. So there's basically a uh, front loading of expenses into your P and L using that approach. Uh, but with operating leases, uh, it's a straightforward lease expense that is straight lined across the um, across the term of the actual lease. So there is no front loading. It's basically the same amount each month, each year, unless there's some other stipulations or changes that take place in the lease. So just a couple of things there that uh, kind of add a little bit more to what Edron is saying. Thank you very much. Pete Graham, love to have your thoughts on this. Talk to me. Say it isn't so that there's divergence across <laughs> the two standards. I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of the point is that there's just differences and you're going to run into these and companies are going to run into these. And our recommendation for companies is always that any of these adoption um, processes and timelines always take longer than expected because of all these things that pop up and maybe they didn't understand or there wasn't clarity of this right away. But um, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, this is what we're dealing with. And unfortunately, for the folks that are hearing this on the phone, it's like they've got a lot on their plate, and um, it's more complex than, than they think or we think, and they need to get started if they haven't because it's just, it's just, it's just going to get you know, more complex as, as they dig into it. Thank you. So start now. So I was trying to emphasize several times, Pete, already in in my part of the conversation that it's less than 24 months away. Uh, That's uh, a New Year's Eve and a half, I think, if you dare to be drinking on the second one when you're facing. Yep. Right. And if you think about, you know, we've had some stats from, you know, folks like Rich's uh, firm and Richie may want to chime in here is that it usually takes a company about 18 months, right? A big company, 18 months to adopt anything on the financial side in terms of a new regulation. And we're not that far away from that, right? We're about 22 months and you figure you do some assessment and look at, you know, how you're going to implement it. Before you know it, it's the summer and you're, you're at that magic, you know, window. So, um, yeah, no, Pete, I agree. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of work that's involved because, you know, accounting is just the beginning of this. Um, there's, 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 policies, there's processes, data, technology, controls, all these things have to be taken into account. And if you have a very big lease portfolio, you're gonna, you, can, you can run out of runway pretty quickly because these things can be challenging and they're not very easy sometimes to overcome. And like you said, we, we said earlier, this divergence concept also has to be taken into account. And w- one additional thing is that there is a, a look-back period that uh, occurs for these, right? So even though it's 2019, you're going to have to, you know, for U.S. GAAP purposes, you have to have a uh, comparative reporting period for at least two years, look going backwards. 
So it's already here. 2017 is already here, even though we're not showing it to anybody yet. Technically, we're kind of you know in the process of having to say, okay, well, here's what it looks like today with our old accounting, and here's what it's gonna look like, you know, um, for the new accounting. That's something that we're we're already gonna in a in the window of time where we have to show that information and start aggregating that information internally. Sounds like there's no time like right now. Say it isn't so, Pete Graham. Hey, say it isn't so. It's like. When you're done listening to the show, sit down and start the process because you're almost on the cusp of being late. I want to circle around the table to Imran, Mia, at Nikisa. Imran, interesting comments by both of your colleagues on the panel. Would you care to share anything else? Um, no, what, what they say is essentially the transition uh, um, accounting, what Reed just, sh- um, Reed just uh, mentioned, that uh, the clock is already ticking and it started because um, the companies, they have to um, restate the financial numbers under U.S. GAAP um, when they go live, basically. So after 2019, let's say for the calendar companies, um, following calendar years, um, so they have to uh, restate the numbers in the balance sheet that's been reported for this two period. So essentially, the clock has already started, basically. So it started ticking. Um, also, IFRS has uh, different, uh, the two different types of um, um, transition accounting, which is um, one essentially uh, full retrospective, and another one is modified retrospective, which is you don't have to restate your uh, financial numbers as you go along. So um, the, the, the most important point, um, uh, to just to, um, just to uh, um, kind of um, um, shed more light on that, it's just like the clock is already ticking, and um, for any companies, to capture the information or the financial numbers, it should start from January 2017. So uh, for the companies who are following the calendar year as a financial, um, final, as a, um, for financial statement um, year, basically. So um, it's already um, started ticking. That, so that's, um, that's what I just wanted to say, basically. Thank you very much. I think those are words to the wise from all of you. Rich Sabula, I'm looking at your notes here, and let's talk about the tip of the iceberg. I'm going to read a little bit and have you expand. You say the accounting change for the new lease standard is just the tip of the iceberg, depending on where your organization is on the impact scale. And I'm going to ask you to explain that. The business process, data, technology, and controls changes may be a significant factor that will need to be properly planned, executed, and supported. It's bigger than just moving your lease is to the balance sheet. Rich, you want to scare us or do you want to enlighten us or do a little bit of both? <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm maybe a, a little touch of reality. Okay, so okay. I, I think the this impact scale that I was kind of mentioning in the notes there, really, really, in, in any case, before you run into doing anything, uh, companies really need to understand what is the impact of this standard on their organization. Um, that's step number one, because if, if your impact may be light, um, it's not as scary and it's not as time consuming and you can get it done using some alternative procedures, right? That make, make it, um, you know, a little less, um, uh, harder to, to, to tackle. But, um, if, if you have a significant footprint in leases, whether it's real estate or equipment, um, lessees are going to be pretty, pretty heavily impacted, um, in helping establish and manage this new process so they can properly report the numbers because there's a lot more focus. You know, when things go onto the balance sheet, there's a lot more focus, a lot more rigor, and, um, you know, a lot more disclosures now that are going to be required. And, uh, and the processes are going to change around it as well. So that's, that's kind of where it, it kind of depends on how big the, your, your scale of, of your impact is going to be. Um, 
And just talking a little bit about, you know, it's not just accounting. Accounting is just the tip of the iceberg. It is the beginning because um, that, it's driving this change. But as you really think about it, um, you know, when you look at how do you account for something like a lease in your financials, there's a lot of stuff involved from a a policy perspective, an accounting side, processes that are going to be involved. You know, how do I enter into a lease? How do I make a lease or buy decision? These things may come under a lot more scrutiny. Are, are my standard, are my, are my um, processes standardized globally, or do I do it differently globally? Well, that could be a problem now as well. Um, you know, my systems are, can they, do I even use my systems or is everything based on spreadsheets? Um, well, if, if, if you're getting a lot more of an impact going forward, maybe the spreadsheet process isn't going to work anymore and it could lead to, you know, maybe it's a short-term solution, but sustaining over time is not going to work. Um, and it, then it kind of leads me to the data points. Um, you know, data here, you know, in the, when, when leases weren't being necessarily capitalized, it, it may be hard to find some of these leases. The data may not be readily available for you to take that data and put that into a single repository where you can slice and dice it and analyze it to be able to get the reporting, you know, that you're going to require from it. And, and, and last but not least, I always have to mention controls because, you know, mm-hmm. Sarbanes-Oxley has been around for a while. You know, there's, there's processes that are changing systems and, and how you're going to you know, do data governance around all this stuff. How can controls not change? So there's going to be some impacts there. For, you know, if you have highly manual controls and, you know, you don't have very good segregation of duties, you may look to want to look to try to improve those things so you can be better able to scale with this change as it, uh, as it proceeds over time. Thank you, Rich. Very good information. Talking about a reality check. Uh, yes, I, th- I think you uh, made us all stand up and take attention. Pete Graham, a lot of information on the table from Rich Sabula at PwC. What do you want to add to that? Um, I mean, I, I think the um, the thing that's interesting around this topic is that it, it really hasn't changed in so long, and so I think that's also one of the surprising things. I mean, when you look at the topic, the accounting rules in this area literally go back, I think, to the late 50s, early 60s. Is essentially the, when the commercial jet was introduced, a lot of these leasing processes and, and accounting regulations were set up, and they really haven't changed since then. So when you go back to that point in time, most companies didn't have systems, right? They didn't have computers running their business. There was a lot of paper processes. And so when we go out companies and talk to them about the challenge of what they're facing, you know, we talked to one company and they told us they have 700 finance departments around the world and they have lots of leases on paper across those 700 departments. They also have them scattered in Excel and other systems. So it's really a hodgepodge. And so it's, it's really a, a lot of, and Rich mentioned this, a lot of work to get that, um, you know, get the arms around all that data, get it organized and get it ready. It can take a significant amount of time. I, I think um, I was talking to, to one company a couple years ago, and they estimated it was going to take them three or four years to get all this data organized. And so they actually started the project a couple years ago. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of surprises out there, and it's going to take some work. And, and getting the data together is really a, a big challenge, which most – customers aren't really thinking about. They think the accounting is the issue, but once they figure out the accounting, now they've got to go figure out all the leases, where they are, get them organized, sift through them, and that's, um, that can be a tremendous amount of work. 
Thank you. More reality check. Imran Mia at Nakisa. I'm circling around the table to you. Thoughts? Um, Yes, essentially what Rich mentioned um, on the spreadsheet, can we do the job um, on a spreadsheet? Um, I would hope we could, but there there are challenges on that. So essentially what we're circling back, basically, in terms of data collection and unification, what it means, basically, centralization of data. What we have, we have seen um, customers um, uh, having this data um, stored in the filing cabinets. That's not going to help, basically. And also, um, also we already mentioned about the transition accounting or the parallel reporting that you have to do two years look back. That you cannot do um, through a spreadsheet, rather. Disclosure is another item. There will be a huge challenge for accountants to comply with. And also, the most important thing that the new standard has brought in is this lease modification and, and to capture or to remeasure the lease asset and liability when there is a modification takes place, basically. So these are the things that um, um, may not be done in a spreadsheet, so you may, not, may need a comprehensive solution for that. So these are the things that um, uh, companies have to look into, basically, and they're, they're already looking into this. Glad to hear it. I would say now is almost too late. Thank you very much. Rich Sabula, I'm going to give you an opportunity to comment on what Pete and Imran added, and then I'm going to move on to some notes from Pete Graham. So go ahead, Rich. Yeah, I think it was all valid comments uh, with Pete and Enron. I think they're they're they, they were on point with everything, and uh, we can we can move on to the next item. Thank you very much, Pete Graham. I'm looking at impact statements here, and I don't think we've touched on this yet. Tell me if we have, Pete. We still have some time for another topic. The impact. I assume that means the impact of non-compliance with IFRS 16 and ASC 842. I think I got that right without looking at my notes. Yep. <laughs> the impact. Thank you. I'm trying to memorize it, get all the names and the pronunciations. What a banner day. Uh, the impact can be fines by regulatory agencies, but Pete says the bigger cost to a company if they misstate or have to restate their earnings can affect stock price. Who wants to do that? No one. So talk to me about what are the pitfalls here. We haven't talked about the penalties and the fines and the and the public scrutiny or the public thumbs down. How does this all work, Pete? What's going to happen? Yeah, well, I think um, what's interesting about this topic is um, there was a lot of discussion around this during the credit crisis, and I think there was just coming out of that, you know, part of history, just a lot of desire on the, on the part of the investor community to just want transparency. And I think that's the good part or, or the positive part of the regulation, right? A lot of this um, leases can be considered off balance sheet, and that's really kind of not a great thing or not a positive thing coming out of the credit crisis, right? We want that transparency. So I think that's, that's the, the, the plus side. Now, the kind of the impact or the negative impact on that is now if, if, if companies aren't compliant or they're not able to get all of that information distilled and um, kind of organized and reported in the right way, they, they may face some issues on the regulatory side. Now, we're not sure fully what those could be, but certainly if you make a mistake in, in getting this done because you don't have enough time or you've made some really probably um, – choices in terms of your um, interpretation of the leases, then you're going to have some challenges potentially from the regulators. But the bigger challenge seems to be from kind of the public investors, right? Typically, you know, if um, companies restate earnings, 
you know, maybe it's an honest mistake and there's not a big fine involved, but typically mm-hmm. that's not seen by the investor community as a positive thing. That's seen that, you know, there's either a lack of compliance or there could be fraud or something bad's happening. And typically that ends up lowering the stock price, um, uh, you know, could be quite a bit, but typically even if you get a 5 or 10% move on it, um, usually you get some lawyers then creating some kind of class action lawsuit, and then that takes money to fight and to resolve. So um, those, those outcomes, so the, the outcomes on, on not getting this right aren't that great for companies. Now, it may not bankrupt the company, but still it's, it's going to be negative in, in several ways, whether it's you know, within the investor community or within the, uh, the value of the company. And then you know, once you have that track record where you've, you've missed something, you know, that kind of digs the company a little bit of a hole that they have to you know, then build up that confidence over time with the investor community. So. Sounds like a lot of opportunities to, uh, I'll just loosely say it, mess up. Pete, I just have a question for you before we get Imran and Rich to chime in on this. My question is, is this something that the uh, that accountants at other companies would know about if you misstate or if you fail to comply, you don't meet your deadlines, you don't report it correctly? Is this something that would become public news, whether it's in the financial press or otherwise, that somebody might say, wow, I thought this company was really great, good managers, and look what IFRS 16 did to them. They just tripped and stumbled, and we don't trust them anymore. Is it is it that kind of public shaming, if you will, or is it something that's a little more well, subtle? Just what, How does it work? Um, I mean, I think it's going to work. I mean, essentially, you could have an unforced error. I mean, if you use the term in, in terms of the accounting, uh, I think Warren Buffett uses that, where they, there's just an honest mistake where they kind of were shooting for, to get it over the net, but they hit the net and there was a mistake. Um, that usually is, is you know, potentially not seen badly once that's, that's sorted out. Um, but essentially, I mean, if, if there's, an issue, um, in, in general, it's just not seen very positively, right? And um, it, it, basically, these, these, these challenges on the, the reporting side, um, you know, could be, could be to the point where, you know, when you look at a forensic accounting firm or company, and they have them, right? They're, they're going to be looking mm-hmm. at the notes, seeing that there's all these leases off balance sheet, and they're going to be looking for the changes in the accounts that affect the balance sheet under the new standard. And if they don't see a note in there saying maybe there's an exception and they didn't adopt it for this class of assets, they're going to be able to figure out that it doesn't add up, right? So I think the forensic accounting folks out there, and there are some of them that are pretty good at it, are going to be able to detect that something's not quite right or they, they kind of maybe skimped on this a little bit. So I think those would be fairly easy to detect because most of those leases you know, if they're already off balance sheet, they're noted, and somebody can trace that back and then and see if it's it's not really showing up in the financial statements or in in the, in the right magnitude. Thank you. Let's circle around to Imran Mia at Nikisa. Imran, thoughts on what Pete just advanced for us? Um, Bonnie, the 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 key word is um, transparency. Um, mm-hmm. So, yes, um, leases were not shown on the balance sheet previously, basically. We had many different scandals. So, for instance, um, Enron scandal, so on and so forth. Um, those are disclosed in the note to the financial statements. Yes, investors, they could dig into that. They could, um, they could, they could um, 
they could find out the real picture, the real position of the company by looking at the notes and um, uh, notes to the financial statements. However, um, the general public may not be aware of uh, of the liability the company has, basically, and um, so that was the main 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 um, concept behind uh, bringing those liabilities into the balance sheet. So essentially, what I'm trying to say, Bonnie, whenever I talk about leases to someone, I, I say this um, same thing as uh, you can apply in your personal life. If you own a own a uh, own a house, so you have a mortgage, let's say. So that's in your credit report. So you have a loan attached to you, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's visible to um, um, any um, credit rating agency. So it's a knowledge they could um, they could see from your credit report, basically. However, if you, for instance, if you're if you're renting a house and you have a you have an agreement for ten years with your um, landlord, so you have debt attached, but it doesn't get reported in your credit report, basically. So that's, 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 that's what used to happen, basically. Operating leases were not shown on the balance sheet. So to general public, they may not be aware of the, uh, the true position of the companies. So the key word is transparency. And that's what uh, the accounting bodies are trying to um, bring into um, across the board, basically, the transparency. Thank you. I, I have tweeted that. Accounting transparency equals key to IFRS 16 compliance 010119. I hope I captured that. It's hard to do that with a lot of notes and under 40 characters, but we got it. Let's circle to Rich Sabula at PwC. Rich, a lot of interesting thoughts here about the failure to be transparent, failure to state mm-hmm. properly, to meet the compliance deadlines, the impacts. We're talking fines. We're talking reality checks. We're talking whoops. Uh, we're talking no good coffee for a while and maybe impacting stock price. What are your thoughts on this, Rich? Yeah, I mean, Pete, you're on point. Restatements are definitely not anybody's, uh, you know, they don't, they don't want to get into that area, you know, so so let's let's try to put a little bit of a, you know, positive spin on what, what people can do about this. You know, um, the, the key is you got runway now, so starting early, you know, and having the visibility to what's going on, having the time, you know, on your side to, to do the calculations, gather the data, you know, and put put that transparency in there and put it on your side uh, is is key. And and it's not something that the finance team is going to go after on a, on them on their own. It's going to be something that you want to bring in your cross functional team. So bring in legal, bring in tax. You know, bring in your procurement groups, bring in everybody so they can understand what the standard is all about and how it's going to impact them. Because the this cross um, functional view in your company is very valuable. And there's, there's pockets of information of how things are done today that you won't figure out unless you talk to these people. And, uh, and last but not least, your auditor. Your auditor is very important to help keeping you, you know, in line and giving you that, that uh, secondary check on your numbers. You know, your auditor should be involved with you as you, you kind of go through this process to help be, uh, and if you can get things done early for them, they can review it and start giving you that um, additional comfort that you haven't really missed anything because they're also well well um, uh, understood on the standard. So, Thank you. Great words of advice. This is really a primer or a primer, whichever you prefer, on how to approach this. A lot of great advice. I'm going to circle back to Pete because we started this with you and we're actually in the crystal ball predictions round. But Pete, I'll give you just 60 seconds, not for your prediction, but for any comments on what Imran and Rich added to your note. What do you think? I think it's all complimentary. I mean, the the key thing, I think Imran mentioned it, was transparency. And I think Rich mentioned, um, 
you know, restatements are just not what uh, companies want. It's not good for companies in general. And, um, you know, I, I just think to sum up, you know, as Rich said, you've, you've got enough runway, it's time to start. And don't, don't burn that runway, right? It's precious. So don't let it sit in the corner of your, of your office or your desk for another three or six months. It's, it's really time to start looking at it uh, and, and get ahead of it and not behind it. Thank you, Pete. Now, I'm going to ask the three of you when you do your 60-second, that's all we're going to have for each of you, 60-second predictions. I'm going to ask you to look at 2020 for several reasons. First of all, we're talking short window, short time frame to get on board for IFRS 16 and ASC 842 changes, compliance, make sure you're on board, your teams are on board, collaborate, talk to everybody in the company, make sure everybody knows what to do. Okay, so let's look at 2020, my favorite new year. So let's look at 2020, which is a year after the compliance date for IFRS 16, what do you predict the landscape will look like in terms of who will and will not, don't don't put anybody under the bus, but who will and will not have met that compliance or will the rule be rolled back for another year because nobody did it? So Imran Mia at Nakisa, I give you exactly 60 seconds, go. Um, the rule, uh, the law will be rolled back. Uh, so what we can see from there, um, there will be some adjustment in terms of uh, how things should be accounted for. For instance, um, there are some challenging works under uh, IFRS whenever there, whenever there are changes in the index array that could uh, reflect in a, um, in a changes in the contractual cash, cash flow, you have to remeasure the lease. So this brings um, added complexity to the, to the lessee to uh, remeasure the lease on an ongoing basis. And also, um, um, USGAAP, they have uh, um, two types of classifications. So those are the things that could change. So essentially we could, um, in terms of the process, that could change. We could talk about the process in 2020. And also in 2020 will be the first year, uh, maybe the first year with um, across the board with parallel reporting ready for the companies. So we'll, we'll see the financial statements with, uh, with numbers being restated for the two years, prior two years basically, the restatement of the financial statements to reflect the new standard. So that will be a very interesting year to me, basically, 2020. Thank you very much. Rich Sabula, 60 seconds. Look at 2020. What do you see in the crystal ball at PwC? Go. Well, I definitely see, you know, the, the folks we've been talking about from the companies that take, take advantage of this runway, they, they will be ready. They'll have a centralized system and uh, processes that are going to be able to manage and give them the reporting they're going to need to um, evaluate leases and process them under the new standards going forward. Um, so, but there are also going to be the people who may have waited too, too long. And, um, there's going to be some cases where they're maybe not a hundred percent ready with, uh, a fully functioning, you know, process systems, everything, you know, all the uh, bells and whistles. They'll have some, um, they'll have to get some of the stuff done on, um, uh, on a higher level perspective so they can get their reporting done and then very quickly hustle to get their, you know, processes, and systems and stuff like that in place so they can sustain it over time. So it'll be a partial Band-Aid, I guess, um, you know, that some of them will do because they just won't have enough time to be finally, finally ready. They're going to have to, you know, get it all reported properly, get their auditors to sign off on it, and they can move forward. It'll be a little painful, but they will then have to look to sustain that process over time and and fix it so it, it does reach the same level that the other companies that will be ready are. Thank you very much. And Pete Graham, I saved exactly 60 seconds for you. 2020, what do you see? Um, 
Thanks, Fun. I think we'll see good adoption. I think investors will like the transparency. I think companies will be getting comfortable with the new status quo, though it may have been a little bit of a tedious road to get there. Overall, I think, I think we'll have a good result. There's always going to be a few stragglers, but um, usually there are, there are ways to, to, to potentially go live at the top side adjustments and then make more corrections later. But in general, I think we'll have a good result with this due to the increased transparency. Good. And because of conversations like this, you're supposed to say, Pete Graham, because we're bringing it out to the open and getting it out to the global audience. Thank you so much, the three of you. You made this very human, and I appreciate that. Imran Mia at Nakisa, thank you so much for your time. Rich Sabula at PwC, thank you as well. Pete Graham, come back anytime. You know that. And a shout-out, of course, to Pamela Dunn at SAP, who put together this really interesting topic. Pam is listening. Thank you, Pam. She's tweeting at uh, SAPRADIO. Take a look at hashtag SAPRADIO and see all the great information I think I've captured, and Pam has as well, all the words of wisdom of our panelists. So I'm going to sign off for now, but tomorrow I'll be back. Oh, Coffee Break with Game Changers, 11 a.m. Eastern, here on the Business Channel on World Talk Radio. We'll be talking about you don't own me, but who owns my data? Think about all the digital breadcrumbs every one of you are using when you, you, you're leaving behind, when you use a chatbot like Siri or Alexa, when you go and look at products and services online, when you do any kind of questions on Google, you're leaving behind a trail uh, that can be created, a profile about you by retailers and other people who want to know how to market to you or how to scam you the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we'll talk about that. You don't know me, but who owns my data? Shout out and thank you to Kevin at World Talk Radio, our engineer. And here's my call to action. Fast, 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 Bonnie. Veet, veet. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Get ready for IFRS 16 and ASC 842. We did it. Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.